to the Humanity Church Podcast, a place where meaningful conversations around living by faith, being known by love, and becoming a voice of hope are shared with the world every week. We hope that you enjoy this podcast and will join us live on Sundays at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time, online or at the historic Fox Theater in beautiful downtown Pomona. We also host humanity groups that meet all throughout the city and online to continue the conversation and support you in your ongoing spiritual journey. Find one near you by visiting humanitychurch.com. If you would like to financially support this podcast or the ongoing work at Humanity Church, you can text any donation amount to 84321 and give directly from your phone. Now, here's this week's podcast. Last conversation here in our zoo theology. We've had all kinds of conversations about all kinds of animals over the last few weeks, from bears to fish to donkeys to lions to lambs to even leeches along the way. And it has been a surprisingly meaningful series, taking a look at what it looks like to engage these metaphors around our faith and to become people who are dynamic. We've looked at everything from our work ethic to overcoming fear to not allowing circumstances to determine who we are and where we're moving and how we're living. And, and in all the animals that we talk, we've talked about, there is one that we've yet to talk about. And it's the animal that it's actually like the, the crowning jewel of creation. It's the one that, that literature and art and philosophy have been written about and engaged in. It's the one that is called the masterpiece of God. It's the one that is to literally die for. And that is us humans. You know, I know, I know we don't like to think of ourselves as animals. We like to think of ourselves as much more sophisticated than that. But, you know, they don't actually lock us up in the zoo to, to, to look at humans. We, we go to the zoo to look at animals. Maybe that's what politics are. You know, we, we lock up some politics in there and we, we engage them over there. But, but for most part, we do not like to think of ourselves as animals. We think of ourselves as more than that. My grandfather has informed us that when he dies, his body will be donated to science and that within 24 hours of his passing, he will be whisked away to some laboratory and for the next 18 months, they will cut him open and dissect him like a frog in a seventh grade class. And they'll be examining all kinds of his organs and they'll rip open his legs and see all the tendons there and they'll crack open his skull and pull out his brain and take a look at how that works. Now, If you're anything like me, this conversation is very disturbing to think about because we don't like to think of ourselves like an earthworm that's being dissected by fourth graders in a classroom. But we all know that there's a part of us that are animals, that there's like a biology to us, and it's why we're in the kingdom, animal kingdom. And we know that there's a part of that, but we don't like looking at ourselves like that. We, we like to believe that there's an elevated part of us. But the reality is, is we like there's that the fact that there's an animalistic part of us when it comes to medicine. We like to be able to study that when we put this chemical in the body, this happens. And when we're able to do this, this is how our body responds. And so we like that part of us. But I, I think we recognize that while we are a part of the order of the animal kingdom, that there is something that separates us from a lion or a fish or a donkey or a bear in the middle of it. And so today we're technically, I guess, going to move from zoology to anthropology or maybe somewhere in between in our conversation today. 
when I was writing this conversation, I was at Landmark Coffee in Redlands and there's um, this couple that was next to us and I realized rather quickly that they were pastors having a conversation about what's next for their church. And so I was eavesdropping while I was thinking about this conversation around what it means uh, to be human. And ironically, they were talking about what is needed to communicate to their community. And the man said, you know, what we really need, what, he, what, what the church really needs is a clear anthropology. And I was with him on that. He was basically saying, look, we, we need to understand who humanity is, what our place is, and how we are to see ourselves, and that will inform us of how we see God. And I'm like, I'm with you, brother. I'm, I'm sipping, sipping my latte and listening along as he's going. And then he said this, and this is where he lost me. He said, the most important thing that we can understand about ourselves is that we are completely depraved and that we are extremely broken and that when we fully grasp that reality, everything else falls into place. And I thought to myself and I thought, hmm, I, I halfway agree with you. It's interesting to me that there is this need within spiritual leaders to constantly remind people of our depravity, of our brokenness. See, because from my perspective, I actually just, that's obvious. <laughs> see, see, I actually think, I actually think it takes a lot more faith from us to believe that we are inherently good, beautiful, put together beings that have momentary blips of evil that comes out of us. I think it takes a lot more faith to believe that than it actually believes that it takes to believe that we are, are there's a brokenness to our spirituality and that we are fighting to get to this space of goodness. And so it doesn't occur to me that I need to constantly be reminding people about this. When I look out at the world, I'm having conversations around why people are anxious and why people are depressed and why people are overwhelmed by their circumstances and why they feel powerless and why why their mindsets aren't working in their current situations. I'm having conversations to help people return to their goodness, not necessarily to deal with the momentary blips on the radar of what's not working in their life. If, if anything, it should be that we are obviously utterly corrupt <laughs> and that something is missing in the middle of this. But it's, it's so fascinating to me that, that followers of Jesus think that if we just remind ourselves of our wickedness and we make sure that we know that we're corrupt and we allow this to inform our anthropology Apology, that that will move us forward rather than getting crystal clear about our original design, rather than being fascinated and, and overwhelmed and curious about why we as a species were even created in the first place. I think that's actually a, a much more exciting conversation because our brokenness might be a part of our current narrative, but it hasn't always been that way. And going back to the original design actually gives us an insight as to what we were made for. And more importantly, who we were made for. In Hebrews chapter 2, starting in verse 5, it says this. And this is, this is an anthropology of humanity in here. It says, it is not to the angels that he has subjected the world to come, about which we are speaking. There, there is a place where someone has testified what is man that you, God, are mindful of them? A son of man that you care for him. You made him a little lower than the angels. You crowned them with glory and honor and put everything under their feet. The writer in, in Hebrews here is quoting David from Psalms 8. And David is looking out at the universe. And he's looking at the sun and the stars. And he's looking out at creation and all of the beauty that's around him. And, and he says, when I look out, 
at everything that you've created, it's so breathtaking. There, there's so much diversity in color and color and, and interesting dynamics that take place in creation. And, and he's in marvel of everything that he is experiencing around him. And then he says, what is man that you would choose to be mindful of us? Of all of, all of the beauty that, that God could spend his time with, of all of the breathtaking locations that God could spend his energy on, of, of all the, the universal beauty that he could engage in on a regular basis, he inclines himself to us, that the energy of God would be spent with humanity, which says a lot about who we are, but it actually says a lot about who God is in the first place. I love working with artists, and one of the things that's so fun about working with artists is that you can actually get a glimpse into their soul based on the art that they create. You can actually take a look at the, the works of art, whether it's a film or something on canvas or a spoken word, and, and you get a glimpse into that artist's soul in the middle of that. And, and God decided when he was going to make human beings as the master artist, that he was going to make us just a little lower than angels, that he would place us just a little bit lower than, than the, the warriors of heaven. But then on top of that, he would crown us with glory. And he would crown us with honor. And then he would put everything under our feet. See, it says in this passage, as it continues, in putting everything under them, God left nothing that is not subject to them. That there is nothing in this world that is not subject to us as human beings. It says that of all the species on the planet, on the planet that, that gets to control everything, it's us. And that he has placed everything under our feet, that everything is subject to us. And that should inform how we relate to our resources, how we engage one another, how we relate to our character, the future of ourselves and humanity and the world. When there is nothing not subject to us, that there is some power that comes with this. Now, here's the thing, though. Have you ever had someone who says something inspiring and you get all amped up and you're ready to go and then you know it's not quite true? You know what I'm talking about? I, like, like I, I, sometimes I, I listen to these motivational speakers and I'm like, yes, yes, that's awesome. And then I get done and I'm like, that doesn't actually make sense at all, you know? <laughs> or I just look out at my life and I'm like, yeah, that's categorically not true, you know, <laughs> with that. And I mean, you see this all over memes on the internet. It is just a common thing. And people get really inspired by them. Like these posts are all, like, you are enough, right? And just believe it. And then have you ever tried to do life alone and just believing that you're enough? It actually doesn't work very well. Or when people say, don't care what other people think, just care about what you're, who you are and living your authentic self. I don't know if you've ever been married, but not caring what another person thinks doesn't actually work. <laughs> In, in actually any relationship that we find ourselves in. Or like these, these wonderful phrases that sound good, like you are the master of your universe until you have to pay those bills, right? <laughs> and then you realize, no, actually the credit card company is the master of my universe and I am just here to engage it. But I find that Christians actually are kind of the, the worst at this. That we say things all the time that sound good, that even sound biblical. And then we find ourselves struggling to keep up with the phrases and the, the platitudes that we engage in on a regular basis. 
See, do you ever feel like you were made for more and you just don't know how to access it? See, I love that this says that everything, everything in the universe is subject to you. That there is nothing in the created order that is not under your feet. I think every single one of us, we resonate with that. We, we long for it to be true, at least. We listen to that, we think that, 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 that this has to be, that, that there has to be a space where I master my world and I, I have a mastery of the things that I'm engaging in and the things that are coming at me. And yet I don't actually know how to do that. I don't know how to access that type of power or that type of influence or that type of glory in my life. This is such a common thing for me. It's so annoying to have a dream or an image of what the future could look like and then not be able to engage it fully. It's annoying, isn't it, to know what your marriage could be or what your parenting could be or what your dynamic and relationships could be or what your career could be or what your financial situation could be and then not know how to access it and then being told everything's under your feet and nothing is not subject to you. It's frustrating, isn't it? Because it's like, which one is true in the middle of this? And we all know that there is more beauty to bring into the world, both externally and internally. But we struggle with how to actually realize this power that the scriptures at least say God has placed inside of us. We know we were made to have mastery over our lives and to simultaneously be a masterpiece in the world around us. But it drives us crazy not knowing how to get there, to step into that space. See, if everything is subject to me, why isn't everything subject to me? And, and this is what the book continues with, because I think we like to stay there. Everything's under our feet, and we, everything is subject to us. Put that on a Bible cover, right? Shout that out in the middle of a worship service. But then it continues. Yet at present, we do not see everything subject to them. Thank you, right? But we do see Jesus, who was made lower than the angels for a little while, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. In bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom through and for everything exists, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through what he suffered. Both the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. He says, I will declare your name to my brothers and sisters in the assembly. I will sing your praises. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, he says, here am I and the children God has given me. See, when God looks out at humanity, his anthropology is not informed by our brokenness. God's anthropology is actually not informed by how depraved we are. It's actually informed by how much he longs for us to be in family with him. That's actually what informs his anthropology. It is, that, it is not that our, our spiritual brokenness doesn't matter. That's not the conversation. It just doesn't seem like that's the driving motivator behind how God views humanity and how he interacts with us and our original design. See, in this, God decided that he would translate himself into human form. That, that, that of all the animals that God could translate himself into, he chooses us. God doesn't come as a giant elephant or a salamander or a dog. 
He doesn't come as any other of the created order or any other part of the animal kingdom. He comes as a human being. This is how much he longed for us to return to our place as family with him. Because while you can love a puppy or a cat or a fish, only humans were crowned with glory and honor. Only humans were given a space where everything was subject to them, made just a little lower than the, or, than the angels. So it would make sense that when God says, how do I translate myself so that we can become family again, so that we can return humanity to its original design, it would make sense that he would come as human so that he could fully express his defining characteristic of love and family towards us. That he would endure the cross to restore us to the original design of being fully human. Restore us to our original design of being gloriously human, crowned with honor. See, this is the, this is the crazy part of this. In restoring humanity to our original design, the one through whom everything was created for and through God himself, when, when he comes to restore us to our original design, he doesn't say, now I tolerate you. But, but I, I think so many of us actually live with that theology. I think even people who don't know God live with that theology. That, that the best that we can do is get to a place where God tolerates us. That, that the best we can do is get to a place where he says, all right, I'll deal with you now. But the beautiful thing is that he says, the one who made you holy is now family with you. That you are now brothers and sisters. And, and in the family, notice that you're not like the estranged cousin that occasionally gets invited to Thanksgiving, right? You're not like the weird uncle who's like, do they have to come? You're, you're actually invited to be siblings with Jesus himself. To be connected into the family. He says, the one who made you holy and you who are made holy are now family with one another. You are brothers and sisters in Jesus. There's a certain pride that comes with a family name that is honorable or that has some weight to it. I remember as a kid not understanding the full influence that my grandfather had growing up, that he's a bit of an iconoclast in his generation for the movement of Jesus. And I knew that he would go and he would speak to thousands of people in different stadiums and that he influenced large movements around the globe. He was just popo to me. And I remember one time he invited me on a trip to go to Brazil with him and we showed up to this large auditorium filled with hundreds of people waiting to hear him speak. I didn't think much of it until he got up on stage and everyone was wearing name tags and I had a name tag on that had Nathan Neighbor on it, given that it was a name tag. And I didn't think much of my name tag until people started coming up to me and looking at the name tag and saying, are you related to Ralph Neighbor? I'm like, yes, why? <laughs> And they're like, oh, you're, you're part of the family. And, and more and more people started coming up to me. Are you, are you, a, are you like in the neighbor's neighbor? Yeah, yeah, I am. And it moved from a last name to a badge of honor that I wore because there was some weight that came with the name. There was some history that came with the name. There was some honor and glory that came with the name. And so I started carrying the name, lifting my head up, like, no, look, I'm a neighbor, guys, right? In case you didn't notice. 
And there was some honor and some glory that came, not because of anything that I had done in that place, but because I carried a name. I was part of the family in the middle of this. See, because when your origin is powerful, you become powerful. And, and what Jesus invites us into is a family name that is trustworthy and that is true and that is faithful and that is honorable in the middle of it. So it shouldn't be a surprise that when we recognize the anthropology that God lives in, that you, human, are a masterpiece, that you were created by him, made just a lower, little bit lower than the angels, that you were crowned with glory and honor, that, that he puts everything under our feet, that you would wear this name with honor and with pride and with a sense of power that comes along with the name that is above all names and that you would recognize it among brothers and sisters in this space. But here's the thing, it all starts with Jesus. That this anthropology doesn't actually make sense until it starts with the one who came before us, the first of us, Jesus. See, this new anthropology, it's different from a motivational speech that just says, you are awesome and you are a masterpiece. It actually starts with recognizing, no, there is actually like a deep brokenness that lives with inside of us that there is a wounding in our own spirituality, but it recognizes that there is a God whose anthropology is about restoring you to your original design and that he has come for you to redeem all of that. And his name is Jesus. That when we connect to a relationship with him, he is the one that comes and not only makes us family, but allows us to step into our original design, putting everything under our feet because everything is under his feet. So, yes, without Jesus, our anthropology is pretty bleak. It is actually pretty dark. It is actually pretty hopeless. We are actually stuck in our darkness and our corruption and our hopelessness. We, hopelessness. we are orphaned because of that. And here's why this matters so much to God, because he is not interested in just mitigating the effects of your brokenness. He is interested in returning you to a place of glory and honor as you were created to be. I remember when Jackson was about four years old, he was doing some homework and I walked in and I could tell he was frustrated. And, and I just sat with him and I said, hey, what's going on, bud? And he, these words came just echoing out of him. He said, I'm so stupid. And in that moment as a father, I was like, nope, we are not, we are not starting this. We are not doing this. And we had a long conversation and went through a whole season of, of working that thought pattern out of him. But here's my, here's my come from as a father. I was not just interested in him no longer saying that he was stupid. I was no longer interested in just removing that idea from his mindset. What I was more interested in is him recognizing you are brilliant, that, that you are gifted and talented and that you, because you are my son, have honor in this house. And you will not speak that way about your design as long as you are a part of this family. And this is what God invites us into, that with Jesus, he changes the narrative that we live in, that he is not interested in just getting rid of, I'm no, just getting us to a place where we can say, I'm no longer broken. He wants to move us to a space where we can own the family name of Jesus with honor and glory and return us to a place where everything is under our feet because everything is under his feet in the middle of this.
Oh, and by the way, this should absolutely transform not just how we see ourselves, but this should transform how we see every single other human being on the planet. That this anthropology should transform how you see not just your family, but the person serving you coffee, your Uber driver, the person that you walk across the street, that when we, as brothers and sisters of Jesus himself, made just a little lower than the angels, crowned with glory and honor, everything put under our feet, that when we walk out into the world, we should be overwhelmed with the potential of humanity that lives around us when they step into connection with Jesus. It should transform the lens that we see one another through, moving alongside Jesus to transform the original design of humanity and all of creation with this. Because there is a big difference between seeing Jesus as working to mitigate the effects of our brokenness and seeing Jesus as returning the creation to the original design. One's an anthropology that focuses on simply cleaning up the mess. The other is an anthropology of restoring everything that was lost. And he does that with us. And then part of our glory and honor that he invites us into, the part of us that he invites us into making everything subject to us under our feet is that we get to partner with him in restoring and redeeming humanity around us back to its original design. That's part of what makes you glorious. That parts, that's part of what makes you honorable. That parts, That is the part of you that, that everything gets put under your feet. And Jesus is up to a lot of things with birds and fish and leeches and dogs. But his masterpiece is in you and me, restoring us through Jesus to the original design that he has for us. So I don't want to ask you a question today. I'd like for you just to pause for a moment and just close your eyes where you're at. And I want to give you just a moment to ask Jesus this question silently to yourself. Not to anyone else, because there's only one voice that can answer this question. I'd like for you to just answer, ask Jesus, who am I? Who have you created me to be? What is the view of me, Jesus, that you live in, that you're inviting me into? Beyond all the self-talk and self-deprivation or shame or worry, wondering, is everything under my feet? Who has he called you to be? allow his voice to inform your identity today. And I'm going to ask you to take whatever he has spoken to you and to allow that to just penetrate deep into your soul that it would become like the driving force for you this week. Because I know it is his driving force of love and mercy and honor and grace and hope and glory over your life because of that he would go to the cross for you 
so that you could be restored to your original design as masterpieces filled with glory and honor. And this morning, if you're here in this space or if you're online and you have not yet connected to a relationship with Jesus, this is your moment. Because it doesn't matter what I say, it actually matters what he says. And what he says is that if you come to him, if you confess with your mouth that he is Lord and believe that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved into and back into your original design. That he will return you, redeem you back into the glorious human that you were made to be for him. And so this morning, if you're here and you've not yet made a decision to follow Jesus, or if you're here and maybe you have wandered way far away from that original design in him, this is a moment where I believe Jesus wants to restore everything that was lost and to return you to what it means to be gloriously human because of him and his work. So if that's you today, I'd like for you to, just, if you're here in this room, you can just look up at me. You're saying, today I, I wanna connect to Jesus for the first time or for the first time in a long time. Yeah. And if you're online, you can just put in the chat, Jesus, we'll know what that means. And I, wanna, I want you to just pray this prayer with me. There's nothing magical about it. There's no magic words. It's just connecting to the Father and just say, dear Jesus, I know that I'm broken, but I know that you came and you died for me. And you came back to life so that I could fully live, so that you could return me to my original design of what it means to be fully human. So I make you Lord and I follow you today with everything that is in me. I give you my life. And I know that in we thank you in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us for this week's podcast. We hope that it was a meaningful experience and look forward to having you listen in next week for another conversation from the heart and soul of Humanity Church. You can find more information about our community at www.humanitychurch.com.